0: Welcome to Design 30. My name is Jason Bilyeu, and in this podcast, I provide design strategies and tools to improve creativity, innovation, and overall design confidence. Today, we're going to be talking about what a design can tell you about the personality of the designer as well as the values held by the culture and just the values of the age at which they made this this design. Uh, to do that we're going to go through a bit of a longer uh, excerpt from the book Structures, which I've mentioned a few times now by JE. Gordon. And I think he just does a really good job of bringing up a question that is really important and perhaps even more important for us to think about today than even when he wrote this book. But before we get into that, as always, uh, please subscribe to the podcast. Uh, If you enjoy it and you think other people would enjoy it too, please share it. Also, it's really helpful if you can give it a five star rating. And if the app allows it, it's also very important, very helpful. It would be appreciated if you could give it a review, write out an actual review for it. Uh, Also, you can find more Design 30 content on YouTube. You can become a subscriber to the Design 30 Substack, Or as I've mentioned a few times now, you can also find everything I'm writing also on Medium. So if you want to become a follower on Medium, that is also a great way to... Uh, fit just a little bit more uh, design content into your day. That's where you can find it. Okay, so let's dive into the subject for today. Again, we're talking about what a design can tell you about the personality of the designer and what it can tell you about the accepted values of their age or the accepted values of the time at which they lived. And so, again, to do this, I'm going to read through... What is a bit of a longer excerpt, so please bear with me as I read through this. Although it is practically an article of religion with many engineers to believe in a close connection between functional efficiency and appearance, I am myself skeptical. Of course, the grossly ineffectual will and should offend the eye, but I doubt if the refinements of technical performance really improve appearance very much. Very often it is the other way around. The pursuit of the last ounce of performance results in a boring appearance, as one can see in modern yachts. For myself, I stick to the belief that what one gets aesthetically from an artifact is some combination of the personality of the maker with the accepted values of his age. If you walk down any street with your eyes and your mind open, you can form your own judgment on both. Science has been attacked on almost every conceivable ground ever since the Renaissance. Most of these attacks were more or less rubbish. But it is always strange to me that what seems the real argument against science is seldom raised, at least in a direct form. This is that science has subtly warped our system of values by teaching us to judge on the grounds which are excessively functional. The modern man asks, what is this man or this thing for? Rather than, what is this man or this thing? Herein, no doubt, lie the causes of our many modern sicknesses. The aesthetic judgment seeks, however, inadequately to answer the broader and the more important question. Too often nowadays, our subjective judgment clashes with our scientific judgment. But we sweep the aesthetic judgment under the carpet at our peril. Naturally, there is nothing in all this to prevent a beautiful object from also being an efficient one. The point I am making is that the two qualities are what the mathematician would call independent variables. I am reminded of the Irish yachtman's remark. An ugly ship is no more attractive than an ugly woman, however fast she may be. So there's a few lines in here that I want to focus in on a little bit. He says, of course, the grossly ineffectual will and should offend the eye, but I doubt if the refinements of technical performance really improve appearance very much. So he's doubting whether simply improving the technical performance will actually have uh, much of an impact on the appearance. Uh, So he's doubting whether something that necessarily, or something that works really, really well, will necessarily also be very attractive. He's doubting uh, this concept that anything that is very functional is also very aesthetically pleasing. And then he goes on to say, for myself, I stick to the belief that one gets aesthetically from an artifact is some combination of the personality of the maker with the accepted values of his age. And I think this is probably the main takeaway I have from this section. And I'll keep going through a little bit more of what he says. because I think it's also really important. But this line, I think, is particularly interesting. And the reason I say that is because it allows you to look at a design and think through what is the personality of the person who designed this. What is this design telling me? about that person, and then what is this design telling me about the accepted values of the time in which they lived? So you can think of uh, things you see all over the place today uh, in the modern world, whether it's iPhones or whether it's vehicles or buildings. What are those things telling you about, number one, the personality of the person who designed them, as well as what values do we accept in our modern culture? What are the values that we promote? What are the values that people are pursuing? So I think it's a really interesting way to uh, just perceive designs, a way to think about designs, a way to understand what designs are telling you and what they are telling you about the person who designed them. And then when you're the person designing, think through what does this design, what is this design going to communicate to somebody else? What is it gonna tell them about my personality? What is it gonna tell them about the values that I hold to, the values that I find important? So it's a really good way to just go one level deeper than pure functionalism, right? Go another level deeper than just the technical performance of an object, of a design, of a system. Uh, what is the what is the aesthetic that you're putting into it? What is that aesthetic telling the world? What is it telling your users and your customers? Uh, he goes on in this longer excerpt to have a few more a few more things that I think are worth talking about. He says the modern man asks, "What is this man or this thing for?" rather than "What is this man or this thing?" So. Right here, he's saying we're we're so focused on the functional, on the performance, what what things are for, what do they do, what can they provide, or what can I get out of this thing, rather than just what is this, what is man, what is this thing, what is this design, uh, and so in his words, he uses some pretty harsh words. He calls this uh, the the cause of many of our modern sicknesses, and. In some ways, he could be right. I think that is worth thinking through. What is what is the impact of only thinking about the function, only thinking about what something or someone can offer you? What are they there for? What are you using them for? Rather than just what is this thing? What value does it have on its own? What value does it have as a a standalone object as a standalone design? What value do people have, right? These are some of the deepest questions that philosophers have been talking about and trying to understand for hundreds, if not thousands of years, right? So he's really pushing people who are designers, people who create things to go a level deeper with how they analyze not not only objects in the world and not only designs and systems and things that they interact with, but also analyzing what they do, what you design, what what values are, are you holding to that are impacting what you create. And those are, those are pretty deep questions. And I think they're worth spending some time, quite a bit of time thinking through. And then he ends the section with this. Naturally, there is nothing in all this to prevent a beautiful object from also being an efficient one. The point I am making is that the two qualities are what the mathematician would call independent variables. I am reminded of the irishman or I am reminded of the Irish yachtman's remark: "An ugly ship is no more attractive than an ugly woman, however fast she may be." I find this last section to be more of a challenge where he's saying there's no reason why something that's beautiful can't also be efficient and effective and functional at the same time. And so I think what he's doing is he's challenging designers and this book is a a lot of it's about architecture, but a lot of it also applies to designs of all, all different kinds. And so I think what he's doing, he's challenging people to make something beautiful at the same time you're making it functional. You don't, these two aren't mutually exclusive. You don't have to get rid of the beauty to uh, imbue functional, uh, functionalism in your designs, right? These two things can coexist and they should coexist in a lot of ways. That's, again, this kind of harkens back to some of these deeper questions he's asking about what you value and the personality of you, the designer, and how can you build that? How can you instill that into what you're designing and how can you make make what you're designing beautiful to other people and that there's value in that. Not all the value of an object or a design is purely in the functional nature of it. There's a lot of value that sometimes, well, what he would say, what, we're, what we've overlooked in our modern age, there's a lot of value in the actual beauty of the design. So I'm really curious what other people think about this. How do you think about your designs? Are you someone who focuses more on the efficiency, the functional side of it? Or are you someone who also enjoys building this beauty and working at creating something beautiful that also functions really, really well? And I think this ties in, interestingly, with some other things that I've talked about on this podcast, these other different principles of design. And a few that come to mind just right away when you're talking about the aesthetics of something are, of course, the aesthetic usability effect. So this is something that's been studied and shown that when something looks aesthetically pleasing, you also assume it's more usable. You think it's going to be easier to use, more uh, better designed, more well designed. Uh, So this actually, directly correlates with with what the author J.E. Gordon was saying that these two definitely aren't mutually exclusive. And in fact, what this effect is saying is you can use the aesthetics. If you put that time into making something aesthetically pleasing and beautiful, you're actually most likely going to enhance how you're Product, how your design is going to be perceived. People are going to perceive it as being more effective, more usable, more, uh, functional. It's going to be better designed because you put in so much time into the aesthetics of it. So that's something that we talk about a lot that directly relates back to this idea of making something beautiful and not just functional, that there's, there's real value in that, uh, from, uh, from a, just a, a sales and marketing perspective, right? Just a perspective of how people are going to see your object on a website or at a store and make preconceived uh, or have preconceived notions about it, what their preconceived ideas about it are going to be. Another one is this idea of anthropomorphic form. So this, in this case, the aesthetic of something that looks more human, more humanoid, uh, uh, human shapes uh, that's something that people find pleasing something that people often uh, will draw their eye to it something they will likely uh, uh, often purchase more uh, that's why you see a lot of uh, things like uh, shampoo or body wash those t- sorts of bottles are often have a little bit of a anthropomorphic form to it a little bit uh, you know humanoid is probably the best word for it so this is again this is a way that in modern design, we talk about the aesthetics of something and different aesthetics that uh, people find themselves drawn to. And there's something about the human shape, the human form that we find ourselves drawn to, which uh, makes sense, right? We're, we're all humans. Uh, we're attracted to the human form. So there's a lot of, uh, you know, that makes a lot of rational sense uh, in, in a lot of ways. It's not a great mystery. Uh, another thing that we've talked about on this podcast is the cathedral effect and this is how not necessarily the aesthetics of something although that definitely plays into it but just the physical size of something can impact people it can impact the the user the person the customer right it's if something has a really tall ceiling this lends you towards more abstract thinking if something has a really short low ceiling kind of like an office Uh, this leads you towards more concrete thinking. So this is a good example of how design can actually impact how people are thinking, right? You can impact the way they, what they're more likely to to do as far as their thought patterns, how they're likely to think about other things, even outside of just the design or the building that they're in, right? Uh, It's not so much that when you're in a tall building, you're thinking abstractly about tall buildings or cathedrals, but you're thinking abstractly about all sorts of things. Maybe you're taking on more of these, these bigger questions like the author brought up of, of not just what is man for, what, what can you get out of them? That might be more of a concrete uh, thinking pattern. But what is man? What is this thing? What is beauty? What are these, these larger questions? So here, it's a great example of how you can use design to to literally impact the way people think and and, and perceive things and the the modes and patterns uh, of which they think, whether that's abstract or concrete. And then finally, another design principle that came to mind was also this contour bias. So this is the idea that people tend to be more biased or like uh, feel themselves more drawn to things that are more contoured rather than having these sharp, jagged edges. And there's a lot of reasons for that. Uh, potentially, a lot of it is things that are sharp or harsh edges uh, tend to be more dangerous. So they can be perceived as being more dangerous. And something that's more contoured feels has a feel of a little bit more safety to it. It's something that maybe puts you at a little bit more ease. So humans often have a contour bias. And so again, here's an example of how this design, uh, it's, it, it reflects, or not so much reflects, but it can be used to impact the viewer. It can be used to impact the thought patterns and, and the likes and the dislikes uh, of the user. So these are different things that you as the designer should be thinking through when you're working on new designs. And then again, what this book brings up is this idea of, well, how do you use these different design concepts and these are different, um, effects to, to develop beautiful products? How do you build your personality into those products? How do you, how do you, how do your values, uh, get presented in those products and in those designs that you're creating? And again, I, I think it's just something that's worth spending some time thinking through. And I want to go through just a few quick examples as we draw a bit closer to the end of this episode. And in the first one, of course, as we talked about last week, is the Cybertruck. So I have to talk about that again. So what does the Cybertruck say about the personality of the maker? And this one, you could probably go down a real rabbit hole on. I know this... The Cybertruck is, in a lot of ways, the brainchild of Elon Musk. And in a lot of ways, it kind of does tell you a lot about him as a person. Um, There is, uh, you know, again, there's not contours. There's very little contour to the Cybertruck. It's very much more of these harsh, sharper edges, these sharper bends. And, And what does that say about Elon Musk? Well, like there's times where he can be a bit harsh in personality. He's got strong opinions. Um, He's not like a soft, kind of sugar coated sort of person. And the Cybertruck definitely doesn't convey that, right? It's this more intimidating, uh, uh, potentially futuristic, dangerous, uh, well, dangerous in a way because of the sharp edges, but also dangerous to someone outside of it, but also looks like it would be safe or secure to be on the inside of, which uh, is interesting an interesting thought that just the shape of it kind of puts inside your head. Um, But it's also very functional too. I mean, there is a a high amount of functionality built into it. It's got this incredibly tough exterior, this tough exoskeleton, a lot of little design features built into it that make it a very usable, usable vehicle. But I would also argue that it's not purely functional. So going off this, this long quote, we read from this book structures, I think there is a beauty to it as well. And the beauty comes a lot from the cleanness. It's very aesthetically pleasing in, uh, it's just very sharp. I guess I would compare it to someone who is, uh, dressed in a nice suit that fits very well. It's very clean and you call them sharp, right? Like, Oh, that, that looks sharp. That's kind of the way I would describe the Cybertruck is I think it looks, it looks sharp. It looks like it's very clean. It looks like it's well designed, well put together. I haven't seen one in person yet. So there's a little caveat there. I've been keeping my eyes peeled, but I've not seen any in town uh, where I live and I haven't been able to go to a showroom. So uh, after I see one in person, I'll probably, you know, let's be honest, I'll probably do another podcast on it. I'm not completely obsessed with Cybertrucks, but maybe a little bit. Um, but again, so it tells you a lot about the personality of the maker. It tells you a lot about the personality of Tesla and they're very much focused on performance, right? But they also have an eye for beauty and an eye for clean and elegant design. Um, but what does it tell you maybe at a deeper level about the accepted values of his age, which is the quote from the book. So what are the accepted, what values does the cyber truck, uh, promote oh obviously I think the one is performance the thing is it performs really well it's incredibly fast a huge towing capacity it as far as electric vehicles go uh, it has incredible range for the size of vehicle it is um, it's also very tough it's got great clearance right so there's all these different things that that do show the value of just usability functionalism uh, which again I think is is pretty accurate that is something that our society values today but it's also I think there's something in it that it's pushing or Tesla's goal is to push um, what we value as as car buyers in a new direction and that's I think that's evidenced by the very unique look that they went with. Uh, It's a look that is, it's different from all the other trucks and vehicles that we've, well, not and vehicles, but all the other trucks we've seen designed over the past, uh, you know, almost a hundred years, right? So there's a value there of being innovative, of being different, of being new, of trying something that has, that's never been tried before, so of risk. Um, and those are definitely values I would say that Tesla has. I mean, they, they take a lot of risks and they also try to do things differently than a lot of other companies. So again, this is just an example of how this is a fun way to, to analyze and look at products and then use those to, to learn more about the companies and the people who are designing them. One other example, I want to talk about in our modern society, like if somebody came to earth and looked around, especially in the United States and like what buildings do or what products and it's specifically buildings in this case, uh, did these people seem to really value and put a lot of money and time into, and one of the things that stuck out to me was our sports stadiums. We put a ton of money into sports stadiums. There, are, Many of them are very, very aesthetically pleasing, beautiful, beautiful buildings. And what does that tell you about our society? What does that tell, What would, how would they, if you're someone who, let's say you're an alien coming from another galaxy or something and you show up at earth and you're trying to understand, you're trying to learn and observe uh, and figure out. The personalities of the people who live here and what do the people who live on Earth value, the people who live in a specific location of Earth value, and what would those stadiums tell you? And I think it would be something along the lines of we value performance, right? Sports, it's it's a performance. We value skill. We value uh, athleticism and ability. We value being together in a social context and cheering and experiencing something as a group. Um, yeah, there, I think there's a lot lot of depth you could go into there. So that's something that I want to challenge you, the listener, to think through and come up with other ideas and, and just go through this exercise, or I mean, come up with other uh, objects, other designs, other buildings. And go through this exercise of thinking through what does that tell you about the personality of the maker? And what does it tell you about the accepted values that they hold or that the culture holds or that the society as a, a on a, a larger level at a wider uh, a, a thousand-foot view? What does that culture value? And I think I'm going to leave it there for now uh, for this episode. We're coming up on 30 minutes. Uh, I think that this has been... I think this is something that's worth spending some time on, something I'm definitely going to spend some more time thinking through. So I hope you've enjoyed this. As always, please subscribe to the podcast. Please share the podcast and give it a five-star review if it's something that you've been enjoying. Also, don't hesitate to reach out to me if you have any questions. You can email me directly at learndesign30. That's learndesign30 at gmail.com. And then, of course, you can find even more design content by subscribing to the Design 30 Substack or by finding Design 30 on Medium. All right, let's leave it there. As always, remember, design more, despair less. Thanks for listening.